What a great way to uh, begin preaching the word than to sing song about praise to God. Thank you uh, for all the music today. My heart is full, and I trust yours is as well. Uh, so much appreciate Cheryl and working with the choir, and thank you, choir, for your work and practice, for the ensemble, orchestra, Matt, uh, all the folks that are involved in our music. And, and we show up. And we're blessed with the music. And sometimes we forget all that goes into that. And these folks meet and rehearse and go over it again and again to be able to bring God glory. And we say thank you. We appreciate that so much. Please turn to John chapter 9 this morning as we return to our series on conversations with Jesus. John chapter 9. I was looking at our theme, Come and See. And that's what doing life with Jesus is about. Come and see. Songs we sung this morning talk about what God can do in our lives for different things that are going on. And that's certainly true about the passage we'll be looking at this morning. So I was once asked an interesting question. Somebody said to me, how do you know you've been saved? Isn't that a good question? I love questions like that. Please ask me anytime. I love to tell a story. And I'll tell it at the drop of a hat, I assure you, and I'll even drop the hat. Um, it's good if you've been saved to be able to say, hey, listen to what God has done in my life. May even be better to let people see what God has done in your lives. Uh, at that particular time that I was asked that question, it was a simple response. How do you know you've been saved? And my response was, I was there when it happened. Hopefully that's true for you as well. Well, that was um, an amazing event in my life and it began just a journey of dramatic change in my life. And I think you're all aware of many changes that take place as we go through life and different ages we hit. We're celebrating some birthdays and uh, the Golden Gems will quickly tell you about how things change as we get older. And certainly that's true for certain circumstances that we go through, as many of you can testify. But the most radical, the most radical change that can come upon anyone is the change created by the new birth. What an amazing work God does. And when a person comes to Christ, the Bible says that all things become new. They pass from death to life, from darkness to light, from hell to to heaven. And that experience, my friends, is called salvation. Depending on the age someone is when they experience salvation, that change varies. From a child to an adult, uh, life for an adult has been happening for many years. So the change may differ in degree, but change takes place. And it happens to different people in different ways. The Apostle Paul, he was struck to the ground by a blinding light in Acts chapter 9. But think about Lydia. On the other hand, she was just converted in a quiet riverside meeting in Acts 16. So it can happen in a thousand different ways, but the important thing is that you know it has happened. Well, to prepare for this chapter that we're going to read today and meet an individual who is blind... I'm going to ask you to do something that I've never asked anyone when I speak to do. 
I'm not sure if any pastor I've asked the church family to do what I'm about to ask you to do, but I think it will help us in preparing for what we uh, will see in this passage. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes this morning for a few moments, and the emphasis is on a few moments. I'm not giving you permission to sleep through the message. But I want us to identify with a man that has been blind all of his life. And I realize just closing your your eyes isn't going to give you the full experience, but you're going to get a little bit of an experience. And some of you are saying, I'm not closing my eyes because some New Yorker told me. Who knows what they're going to do? Or (laughs) um, if I close my eyes, what's going to happen? I just want you to indulge me this morning as we think of what life was like for this individual that never saw anything. So would you close your eyes for just a moment and imagine some things with me. Think about this man who lived in darkness all his life. And now with your eyes closed, if you're indulging me, bring a sunrise or a sunset to your mind. This blind man never saw anything like that. Bring to your mind a a beautiful blue sky, or as I like to call it, a Carolina sky. Or clear running water, like the beautiful streams we have in South Carolina. He's never seen anything like that. Picture, if you will, the beautiful fall colors we have here in the upstate. Or leaves blowing in the wind. Or rain falling from the sky. Or the colors of a rainbow, like I recently posted The blind man of our story has never seen anything like that. In fact, he has no concept of color at all. He has never seen little children laughing or playing like I love to do. He has never seen people gathered to worship like I'm looking at right now. He has never seen the faces of those he loved. He's never even seen his fingers or his hand. And if your eyes are still closed, just think about life in darkness. And then imagine never seeing anything ever. You can open your eyes, please. On the morning recorded in John chapter 9, this blind man was unaware that his life was about to change radically. And it was all because he was going to meet Jesus. Do you remember when you met Jesus? Boy, with a crowd this size, I could hear testimonies. Oh, I was, you know, six years old. I was 10. I was 30. I was 70. Whenever it was, I trust life never got better. Life was never the same again as it was for me. And truthfully, uh, we have a story here that helps us um, understand what Jesus is able to do for any life in any given situation. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 9, our chapter right now, he proves it. 
And the story is really the story of how God can help you see something that perhaps you've never seen before. It's a story of how God works the process of faith in our lives. Now, I believe everybody has fairly good sight here today, but is it possible, spiritually speaking, that there are some here that would really like to see their marriage relationship change with their spouse? Or perhaps see their child go in a different direction? Or perhaps see a change of direction with the health they've been struggling with? Or perhaps see a turnabout in the financial struggles they've gone through. This story is a story how God opens our eyes to the awesome and endless possibilities that are in him. Are you willing to go on a journey with me today? I promise you it would be a good journey. And if you are, following the reading of a portion of our text today, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God to help us go deeper with him today. And I'm going to pray for us collectively, but I would encourage you as well. If you want to see greater things, as we sang about this morning, as Pastor Jerry spoke about this morning, if you want to go deeper with God, then you lift up your voice to him in your mind and ask him to do great things today. Would you follow along in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1? Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with saliva, And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Verse 8 tells us, therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. Finally, he said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for what you are capable of doing in our lives. And and Father, we miss out on so much oftentimes because our hearts are dull. Our eyes are closed. Our hearing, Lord, does not accomplish what you mean it to. But today, I ask on behalf of our church family and those visiting today, you know each heart. You know each need. There are some here that don't know you. There are some hurting in spite of knowing you. And I pray that you would use your word today and your spirit to bring us deeper with our Savior. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Jesus and his disciples leave the city of Jerusalem after the Feast of the Tabernacles, they come across this blind man. And the disciples turn in verse 2 and they ask the why question. 
we're tempted oftentimes to ask that why question. Why, Lord? Whether it's related to a difficulty we're going through physically or relationally. Why, Lord? This would be a small thing for you. Why this? Why now? Why me? And listen, folk, those questions are legitimate. Doing life with Jesus helps us to be able to ask questions and to look to his word for answers. Why has this happened? Well, in this case, what the reason is, is the man's blindness. That's what they're asking. Why, Lord? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And here's an interesting observation. This man was born blind. So he's blind, really, from birth. But then we see disciples asking questions that I would think may be blind from tradition or religion. And that's more common today even than blindness. We get blinded by the traditions or the preferences that we have, and it brings us off course. They were buying into uh, the beliefs of that day, and they were sure that one of two reasons accounted for this man's blindness. Either he sinned or his parents sinned. That was their argument. And it would seem to us, some of us thinking about, wait a minute, he was born from blindness. <laughs> that would rule out him being responsible by sinning for that. But one of the strange ideas that existed at this particular time was some Jews believed in the preexistence of the soul. That was the belief that all souls have already existed in the Garden of Eden before the creation of the world. And the thought is, or implied certainly, that this man could have sinned in a former state before he came into this world, and that's why he came into this world blind. Be careful of tradition and religion. Be sure that you're not applying extra-biblical thoughts. Nothing wrong with tradition. I love tradition. But be careful that if you're staking your belief on it, that it comes from Scripture. And the question of whether the sins of this man's parents had caused his blindness reflect a misunderstanding of Exodus 34, 7, which says the sins of the father will be extended to the third and fourth generations. That is that like sin is so deep and it deeply uh, corrupts our relationships that several generations of family will be affected by serious sin. And we know that sin does affect others. But be careful with the application of the scripture, once again, that you're reading something in context and what is meant by it. So Jesus finishes answering their question in verse 3 and 4, and he states the better question. And it shouldn't be, why is this happening? But how do you want to use this for your glory, God? Isn't that a good question to ask? Some of you, no doubt, ask that question when you're going through something physically. Or relationally. God, how, how can we use this? How can you be glorified in this given situation? That's a good question. Now, Jesus' response does not imply that neither this man or his parents were sinless. Rather, that their sin is not the cause for his blindness. And he did not say that sickness and disease never have the consequences or are consequences of sin. We know 1 Corinthians 11.30 talks about there were some sick and sleeping or dead as a result of sin. It's just a 
great mistake to think that all of mankind's sicknesses and illnesses are due to sin. And Jesus is not saying that this man was made to go through his entire life to this point blind just so that the works of God could be manifest. I don't believe that's what he's saying. Rather, he's saying that this man's blindness was something that God used through which the works are manifested. And he does that all the time. He does that in your life. He's done it in my life. Tragedies such as illnesses, accidents, give God the opportunity to reveal and manifest him in us. Many of you can testify through difficulties that you've gone through. 15 years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And when a friend uh, that came to church here heard that, he came over, put his arm around me, and he smiled. He says, so God has trusted you with cancer. And I knew he had cancer previously, and I thought, what does he mean by that? And as I gave thought to that over the years, I began to realize what God was going to do with my experience and what he was doing in my life as I reached out to many that went through prostate cancer and encouraged them, as I'm cancer-free today, they can be as well. And by the way, if you're over 50 and haven't had a PSA test in the last year or two, would you get that? You can thank me later for it. Believe me, um, we should be taking care of ourselves and aware of the concerns of something like that. But here's the thing. We cannot choose how God will glorify himself in us. But we can seek to glorify him in whatever our situation is, whatever we're going through. In verse 6, Jesus turns his attention to the blind man. And I love this. Verse 6 says, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sense. So he went and washed and came back seeing. My friends, could you imagine doing something like that today to someone? Wouldn't the thought be that this is more likely to make a seeing man blind than a blind man see, right? But it is a good question to ponder. Why these particles? And I've read commentaries and different articles, and it's interesting how many different thoughts are out there. Uh, one purpose certainly could have been that these, this, uh, this man's condition uh, had brought him to a hopeless place. And the anointing him like this, something that has never been done before, would evoke hope in him. Think about that. Have you ever uh, been through a difficulty? You've had something happen to you. You go to the doctors. They run tests. They give you a medication. Nothing happens. And you get discouraged. You begin to lose hope. And then someone comes along and says, hey, have you thought about this? Uh, back when uh, I was experiencing something and I did not know what it was, all I know was it felt like my inside had burst open. And the pain was so excruciating that I let Janet rush me to the hospital. And, and uh, once again, I, w- I was in so much pain that as she dropped me off at the front and I went walking in, I collapsed at the entrance. They came out, rushed me in. They thought it was my heart. They were about to do exploratory surgery. And lo and behold, um, they, they gave me morphine for the pain, and it went away. And they were observing me, and they were asking me questions. And the surgeon came to see me. He said, we're thinking about doing exploratory surgery. And I said, hey, I don't feel anything right now. Is it the morphine that's taking the pain away? He said, well, that happened a while ago. He says, I'm thinking if you're doing okay, then we don't want to do anything at this point. 
we'll let you get home, but would you please come back if this happens again? I said, sure, absolutely. And it did happen two or three times more, and my primary could not figure it out. Research did not figure it out. And lo and behold, one day I'm walking through Walmart with my oldest son, Dennis. And as we're passing the pharmacy, he looks, he says, hey, uh, do you take a probiotic? And I said, no, I don't. He said, you ought to do that. Your stomach may need what a probiotic can do for you. And lo and behold, never had the problem again. It evoked hope in me, as small as that was, that something different can make a difference. And certainly, when you think about um, Jesus doing this, taking spit, what the Jews considered to be disgusting, dirty, and vile, mix it with dirt and smear it on a man's eyes and wash it off. Wow. Is that going to give the man sight? Interestingly, it's not the first time he did it. He did it to the deaf and deaf man in Mark 7:33. He did it to the blind man in Bethsaida in Mark 8:23. But it does raise the question, why would not the great I am just touch him like he's done before? Why the spit? Why did he make him walk through the crowds? Well, I don't know that we can really know, but it is interesting that one commentator suggests that Jesus was letting everyone know that he can take anything vile, some of you, and bring it to his glory. Make us clean. Restore us. Make us new for our good and his glory. He can give us vision when you can't see what's going to happen next. He can give us purpose when we think, what am I supposed to do with my life? He gives us hope when we are hopeless. In verse 7, Jesus commands the man to go and wash. Yet we should note that in spite of the fact that this man did never request a healing, he did just as Jesus did. Verse 7 tells us, so he went and washed and came back seeing Those words are beautiful, my friend. Verse 8, the blind man's neighbors are amazed at his healing. It says there, therefore the neighbors and those previously had seen that he was blind said, is this not the man who sat and begged? Some said, yeah, it's him. Others said, he's like him. Finally, he said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how are your eyes open? A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes, said to me, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And I went, and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And what did he say? I don't know. So he only told them what he knew. That's interesting. He doesn't know how the miracle worked. He's not even sure who performed it. But he just gave his testimony of how blind he was. And now he had sight. I think that's interesting, folks, because is it any different for us who were transformed and healed by Christ? Did your family and friends wonder what happened to your life? My family did. My friends did. They saw the change. They saw a perspective that was different. They saw my thinking was different. They saw the direction now I was going in was different. And when they asked, as you may have been asked, did you have all the answers at that given time? 
Right at the beginning, did you have the Romans road to salvation down pat? Well, let me tell you about it. Or all the implications theologically of what's involved in salvation or the reasons for the existence of life. No, of course not. All we did was say, hey, all I know is that I was lost. Jesus sought me. He found me. He loved me. And he saved me. Folks, that's all you need to do to start a whole chain reaction of what God wants to do in the lives of others. You've heard my testimony of how my friend from Wall Street came one day talking about Christ and he didn't know much. Came to our home and just expressed this love he had for God and his life was so different than what that previously was that it brought Janet to her knees early in the morning. And she told me the next day, you know what I saw in Kenny, I knew I didn't have. Wasn't a lesson in theology. It was just showing a love for Christ and letting others know what was happening in his life. And she got saved. And you know the rest of the story, folks. Her faithfulness brought me to the Lord. Last week I shared my mother coming to the Lord. My brothers, others. God works in moments like that. And not because we're theologians. And not because we go to Bible school. But because he had his hand upon us. And he saved us. And what difference does it make for us? If we're not touching the lives of others. Truth is, as you get to know Jesus as the light of the world, when you hear the word of God, when you open the scriptures and the spirit of God speaks to you, let him do something amazing in your life. He'll give you a new perspective and it will be his perspective. The local people here were used to seeing this man sit and beg for a living and they were astonished that now he could actually see. So they asked him how it happened. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. According to a Jewish law, now when someone was cured of a disease, they were to have the cure certified by the local religious authorities. So the neighbors now take him to the Pharisees. And that's interesting because it posed a problem for the Pharisees. As you would think, how can they certify this man as being cured and continue to reject the one who cured him? And so... Not only do we see a man blind from birth and disciples blind from tradition and religion, we now see the Pharisees blind by choice. Blind by choice. Blindness comes in different forms, folks, and you can hold on to that thought. Ultimately, the blind man is brought to the religious leaders in verse 13, and they say they brought him to who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes, and then the Pharisees also asked him, Again, how he had received his sight, he said to them, he put clay in my eyes, I wash and I see. Therefore they said, uh, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. So the miracle caused a debate and it caused division. Some argued that, listen, a man that would do a miracle on the Sabbath can't be from God. Blindness. The Pharisees and the legalistic keeping of the Sabbath was more important than the stunning miracle they had just observed. Others objected, he can, uh, how can one who is able to do these things not be from God? 
But they refused to believe that the man was really blind until they questioned this man's parents. And that's interesting, verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So, they confirmed that this is their son. They confirmed he was born blind, but they denied knowing how it came about. They wanted to get out of the spotlight. Uh, They didn't want to be put under pressure by the Pharisees. So, he's old enough, ask him. So, once again, the Pharisees cross-examine him. Verse 24, they call him again. This man who was blind, they said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. I love verse 25, folks. It's the title of the message. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I love this. He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Wow, that's pretty bold. And they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he is from. Blind, folks, comes in many different forms. And the point I want you to see is found in the striking contrast that we see with the we know of the Pharisees and the I know of the former blind man. And truthfully, that represents all of us here today. What we know reveals where we are spiritually. So we see that in verse 24, the we is emphatic, emphasizing the case may be with this ignorant blind man doesn't really know what he's talking about course, we're the religious experts. So, they lay out their case in a concise manner. In verse 24, they say, we know this man is a sinner. Well, that's an interesting thought. Good is wrong. Verse 29 says, we know that God spoke through Moses. True. But did they listen to the teachings of Moses? Verse 29 again, we know that we do not know where this man came from. And that was sadly true because Jesus said in John 8, 14, my witness is true for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. It's kind of a bit of irony there where he asked them if they want to become his disciples. That didn't sit well at all with them. I love uh, verse really 30 through 34 here. Notice what it says. He answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Well, that didn't sit well for them. And they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching us? 
And what'd they do? They cast him out. Oh my. Former blind man was moved more by the amazement that these powerful religious leaders cared nothing, knew not who Jesus was or where he came from, just what they believed. And that was unfortunately represented in their devotion to God as the place was as the place as it was became their greatest obstacle to seeing who God really was. Folks, be careful of the battles you choose. Notice what me when this man claims to what he claims to know, and many of you are going to identify with this. He goes on in verse 25, he says, I know that though I was blind, now I see. Isn't that a testimony of many here today? You were blind spiritually. Someone shared the gospel with you, and however it was done, you came to know the Savior, and suddenly you're seeing things you've never seen before. He goes on to let them know, I know that God does not hear sinners. And that's a rebuke to the Pharisees of them calling Jesus a sinner. And then he says, I know that God does not hear those who worship him and do his will. That God does hear those that worship him and do his will. And there he's implying that Jesus was doing the will of God. He also says, verse 33, I know, and this is implied, that if this man were not from God, he can do nothing. Isn't that so true? So the blind man did not even know who Jesus was, but he did know that he stood for the truth. And... He was grateful, and he saw what was going on with the religious leaders, and they were not going to get him to go against who Jesus was based on what he had experienced. He was taking a stand in the face of persecution, and when it says they cast him out, it means they excommunicated him from worship in the temple. Once again, he was staying faithful. He knew what God had done in his life. Think about your life, my Christian friends. What have you given up since you know Christ? What have you gained? Is it worth it? I think I know the answer to that. Verse 35 tells us that Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, who is the Lord that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Verse 38, then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So Jesus found the blind man, and now the man expressed faith in the Son of God. And there you see progressively how this man came to know the Lord. Verse 11, all he knew was that he was a man called Jesus. Verse 17, he's calling him a prophet. But finally, in verse 38, he called him Lord and worshiped him. My friends, are you growing in the Lord? Are you in a better place spiritually this year than you were last year? Are you doing the things that help you grow? I'm thankful for a great lesson Brian Bolison taught from Psalm 119 about how important the Word of God is and following the path that God lays out for us and being proactive in growing so that we can be more like our Savior. How it saddens me that there are people 
that walk aisles of churches, that make professions over the years, they join the church, but they never give any evidence of worshiping the Lord or belonging to Him. Why? Well, I don't know for sure, but I know many don't attend anymore. I know some don't serve anywhere. Some don't give anything. They just don't show any interest. Have they been saved? Only the Lord knows their hearts. But I think Matthew 13 clearly teaches us that when a person is saved, there's fruit in their lives. Some 100-fold, some 60, some 30, but there's fruit. There's a fruit in your life that you can point to. I'm sure when the blind man got up that morning, he had no idea what God was about to do in his life. Would it be any different than the rest of the days that he stood begging? Maybe he just planned to spend his time as he did every day previously in total darkness, sometimes like like we are. He did not realize that on that day, a man named Jesus was going to shatter his darkness forever. And as we've seen in this passage, this man was blind from birth. But we also saw the disciples that were blind from tradition and religion. And the truth is, there were the Pharisees that were blind by choice. When you think about why people do what they do, and some of you may be here today and like, this is going right over your head and you never opened your eyes after I asked you to close them. I don't know, and I hope that's not the case. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 13, verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing, you will not see and not perceive. Here it is, verse 15. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I shall heal them. Folks, that may be you today. And it's put on you to respond. But listen to verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. I'm thankful for you who have that testimony, but I'm so grieved for anyone here and others that may be watching online that do not know the Savior. And maybe the question for you today is, are you not tired of the darkness that you lived in and all the struggles that you're going through and doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? You know that's described as insanity. Listen, if you're already his, are you living in such a way before the world that they see you've spent time with Jesus. That's what we've been commissioned. And as we go through our series, you're going to see it again and again. Come and see. Come and see the difference Jesus has made in my life. 
I began by quoting 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Is that true for you? If you were to turn to the person next to you, assuming they know you, and you would ask them, do you see a difference in my life as a result of Christ being in me? How would they answer? Folks, if there is no fruit in your life, if Christianity were a crime and you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I know this may be cliche, but if he hasn't made a difference in your life, what difference does it make? Don't be hanging on to that profession 30 years ago, 10 years ago, last week. If there's no fruit in your life, ask God to reveal, are you his? That's what we want to be doing today, honoring him, glorifying him with who he is, what he's done, and what he wants to do for us. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, you know each heart here. You know those that are yours. But more than likely, there are some here that are living on a profession or a membership or some works that does not bring salvation. I pray today that your spirit would work in hearts, any that don't know you, and you would draw them to yourself. Father, this can be the day that they call upon you and it all changes out of darkness into light. Father, work, I pray, in each heart. And for us who know you, may we take advantage of the opportunities we have. And yes, Lord, some of these difficulties that we go through and maybe even today are going through, help us to look to you and not ask the why question, although at times that's important. But Lord, how can you use what I am going through for your glory and for the good of others? May you be glorified in response today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song today, Amazing Grace. It is my testimony. If it's yours, I know you're going to lift up your voice with great joy. Our pastors will be at the exits today. Any way we can help you to answer the question about salvation, please come and speak with us.